one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. This is Strength to Strength, and a special welcome to our attendees here on this call from all around the world. What a blessing to have you here, and also uh, welcome to our listeners. We have um, this; these talks get put up on many different platforms from YouTube to being uploaded on phone lines or uh, like a, a call center where people can call in. If you don't have the internet, they can call in and listen. Uh, and then, of course, to this platform, we have people here from all over. Um, so it's a special privilege uh, to live in this era where we can do things like this. I was reading a book here um, recently to change the world by James Hunter. And he said there's been three kind of paradigm shifts in the world. One was the writing system. Um, the second was the printing pe- press, you know, 600 years ago. And then the third is the advent of the internet. Internet, And so we're really, in many ways, just 15 years into this experiment um, with um access to the internet really becoming a global phenomenon. Uh, I recently was in the, the Amazon jungle and there they're using Starlink, uh, thanks to Elon Musk, that enables them to have good connection even out in the middle of nowhere. So um, we live in quite the times. Hmm. And so we're together here this morning, though, to in particular to think about a phenomenon that's been happening in our world. And uh, that could, I mean, there's many of them, but Maybe the part that we're looking at here this morning is the idea of nationalism. And is that for the Christian? Our our theme title is, would Jesus be a Christian nationalist? Um, And this morning, at the beginning of our call with Brother Zach, I read out of 2 Peter uh, 3, or is it 1 Peter 3, um, where, where Peter is talking about how that we are a chosen people, a chosen nation. And I said, well, maybe Jesus would be a nationalist, <laughs> but in a different way than what we think of in our day today. And so we live in a time where the glory days of globalism have faded. Uh, that's that's a, a pipe dream. And most of the people who are involved in the political scenes, the global scene, realize that. We no longer have a desire globally that we maybe we had 50 75 years ago to try to work together um you know there's been a lot of those those dreams have 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 disappeared quickly and now we have regional um countries pulling together you know kind of in on the big scale you have the west against china and russia um and even just an increase in nationalism within these countries as people realize whoa I care about my rights and and my little world, my people group, and I'm willing to do whatever it takes to protect me. And so there's this this visceral, um, uh, divisive speech and and um, um, xenophobia that's has really spread around the globe. And those things can affect us, and they pull us in. And then, of course, um, today in Canada, where Justin is, and where Sam's heading to, and where some of Probably some of our college listeners are from. It's, it's called uh, Canada Day, right, Justin? Or Canadian Canada Day? So celebrating. I'm not sure what you guys celebrate on Canada Day up there. Um, uh, but July 4th, coming right up here next week, 
is definitely we know what we celebrate here in the in the U.S. and and um, so there's a the the political fervor is stoked, and uh, so we thought, wouldn't it be a, now would be a good time to kind of dig into the subject a little bit, particularly uh, looking at this book, the kingdom that turned the world upside down, that Brother David uh, labored over over 20 years ago now, and it was the first edition came out in 2003. And so here we are in 2023, 20 years later, and this book has impacted so many people. Um, I mean, I, I just has impacted my own life. I, I grew up in a conservative Mennonite home. Um, I was around these teachings in, in part. Um, but I know that when I was in my early 20s is when I was more introduced to this this kingdom theology, this two kingdom idea. And it was like a light bulb moment for me. All of a sudden, who I was and why my tradition did the things they did made so much more sense in light of this. And this book was part of that. Um, And so it's such a blessing to be here uh, this morning with you, um, Brother David, on this call to dig into this book and some of the concepts uh, in this book and to, to have an interview. So Brother Sam um, is here with us. He's going to be helping out with this interview. Um, yes, so Sam morning. is, in, uh, welcome Sam. Sam's in a camper uh, in Nebraska, right? Sam pulled off the interstate and um, is on the call here. He's heading from Boston back to Calgary, Alberta to uh, be part of uh, getting a church plant started there. So Thank you for your dedication, Sam, and joining us here. Sam will be telling a little bit about his story, their story, he and his wife, and how this book impacted them uh, towards the end of the call and just helping with the interview. So, but before we get started, I'd like to have prayer. And Brother Micah Hosen from Oregon, could you, um, I'm sorry, I did not give you a heads up. Um, Can you unmute, Justin, could you enable him to unmute there? Um. And while that's happening, what we're going to be, um, so this is, people have submitted questions already to us for this, for this um, talk. So for events, we often ask for questions ahead of time and try to kind of compile those and for efficiency and time, time management. And so we won't be opening up for actual people to, to give live questions, but you can submit them to the chat button here um, on the chat, or if you're on a phone, you can email us too. We're watching our email as well uh, during the call here. So feel free to put your questions in and we'll try to kind of compile them as we go on, on the roll here and um, and, and uh, lob those at, at Brother David. Um, so uh, Brother Micah, could you give me some prayer, please? Sure. Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we bless you, Lord. Um, thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for the kingdom and for so great a salvation and for bringing us in to your people. Um, Lord, it's, it's very timely as here in uh, Canada Day and the 4th of July, and and especially those of us who are here in, the, in North America, there's a lot about uh, nationalism happening. Um, help us as we think about these things to um, just reflect on Jesus as Lord and as King and your nation, Father, your heavenly nation. So I pray um, you'd be with us this morning. Uh, be with Brother David, Father. Um, guide his words and his own thoughts, Father, that they would be your thoughts. Um, we bless you, Lord, and we thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. Amen.
Thank you, Brother Micah. And we'll get uh, Brother David. There's um, this discussion today is as Brother uh, Bryant so well uh, introduced to us is about nationalism, but a different kind of nationalism. And the reason we want to talk about this book is writing a book is a feat and it is something to be remembered 20 years later. But we would like to discuss the, the core of this, the message of this book today and um, the impact that this message can have. Um, there's a question that we didn't actually discuss, Brother David, but I would, I would be curious to hear a little bit about your journey to becoming a kingdom Christian. Um, what was your journey leading up to writing this book? Um, where was the, maybe tell us about the, the paradigm shift that you experienced in um, understanding the kingdom? Okay, so, um, <clears throat> wow, it, it would have been a long, a long journey. Uh, uh, started largely with reading the early Christian writings. And um, I actually grew up with an understanding of the two kingdoms and uh, the importance of the kingdom of God. Um, I grew up a Jehovah's Witness, as many of you know, and, and uh, for all of the errors that they have, that's one of the things they actually have right, is they, they teach the two kingdoms. They don't call it, they have a different name for it. And uh, they also teach non-resistance. Um, so I would have grown up with some of these concepts, but then uh, I left Jehovah's Witnesses when I was 26. And then those convictions kind of, uh, I didn't lose them completely, but they definitely drifted into the background. And I was in an evangelical church that was, you know, very patriotic, the typical um, religious right uh, kind of uh, atmosphere. Uh, a lot of things I really appreciated about the church was blessed in many ways there. Um, but there were a number of things I struggled with was particularly their, uh, wow, gung-ho attitude towards war and all of that. And of course, I wasn't sure, well, maybe I'm wrong. It's just maybe my, it's my JW background affecting me. So I when uh, I was 35, I decided I was just I would just read all of the writings of the Christians right after the apostles, the pre-Nicene Christians. What did they believe back there when they were just a few generations removed from the apostles? So that reading them, then I saw, okay, the two kingdoms, this is actually right. And, and uh, war is, is not the way of Christians. So then I started sharing that with other people, what I had found. And that led to my writing my first book, Will the Real Heretics Please Stand Up? Um, and that was written in 1989. So then there's yeah, quite a gap there where I was on a journey of where do I fellowship? I've seen these truths, but now where do I fit in? Um, and I had had a lot of contacts with the Anabaptists and the Brethren, the, the German Baptists. And, uh, looked seriously at those options, but, um, oh, there had been some opposition that came up to my book, Common Sense, and I, I felt like, yeah, maybe this isn't where I'm, I'm 
the most welcome. And so I, I had kind of shelved that idea for the time. So anyway, uh, forward ahead uh, 10 or 11 years, uh, we had had a house church there in Texas. Well, we were meeting at a church building at some point, and uh, that had gone on 10 years. Uh, Dean Taylor and his family, they were the uh, first ones who had joined it, and uh, we were still meeting together. But after 10 years, we kind of realized we'd come to the end of our vision. We didn't have a clear vision, and we decided just to amicably um, dissolve uh, while we were all still friends, and we could all kind of search where we wanted to go from there. So uh, Dean and his family, they moved up to Pennsylvania and joined uh, Charity Christian Fellowship. Uh, my family, uh, I decided to take another look at the Anabaptists. So we had an Eastern Conference Mennonite church that was about an hour and a half drive from our house. And we started attending there uh, every other week. It, it was a bit of a, of, of a drive uh, every Sunday. So we would attend there every, every Sunday. Every other Sunday, we would have church at home, just um, uh, my wife and I and our uh, young son. He would have been, what, about 11, 12 years old. And we were enjoying the house the home church, you get to do what you want. You know, you don't have to submit to anybody. You, you you get to follow your own interpretations of things, your own standards. Our family lived. Uh, our standards would have maybe been somewhat similar to charity, Christian fellowship. Uh, my wife wore a head covering. I mean, we would have followed a lot of Anabaptist standards, but um, certainly we weren't where the Eastern Conference Mennonites are. So we had attended there for some time, maybe a year and a half, and I realized I was at a crisis in my life for myself and um, to, um, I'm, I'm sorry, the, <laughs> the little chat note <laughs> distracted me. My, my apologies there. So I, I realized we needed to make a decision as a family. Were we just going to be a one church family. I didn't want to really start a house church again after 10 years of that. I didn't want to go down that road. Uh, and and I, it was a real conflict because we were very happy with, with you just having church as a family and, uh, you know, living a, a Christian life, uh, trying to live by the Sermon on the Mount. You know, I wonder, worried about who would my children marry? Um, and I realized, you know, if we do this for very long, uh, we're not going to be able to fit into any church. We're, we're going to get so spoiled on having everything our own way. We will never fit in another church. And so we really wrestled. It would have been easier if the closest church to us hadn't been Eastern Conference. They're a great group of people, but it's a considerable bridge to cross with their standards. And so we wrestled. We had a lot of talks as a family, and I felt as the head of the family, I needed to give us some direction. So um, I spent, I don't know, several months of intense prayer, intense Bible reading, intense meditation on just where we should go as a family. And I started reading the Gospels over and over 
again. I had read them, you know, hundreds of times, I'm sure, in my life. But I, I really, really started pouring over them again, particularly Matthew. And it, I saw that Jesus, you know, he said, um, it's always called the gospel of the kingdom, that the kingdom of God was his focus. And um, I mean, these weren't like new truths to me. I, I, I had known this in the background, but it was like a reawakening to, okay, the kingdom of God is the central thing, not just in the whole world, but in my own life, in my family's life. And so I thought, what would be the kingdom thing to do? If, if the kingdom is first in my life, it's got to affect where I go to church, what I do as far as fellowship. And I was convinced the answer could not be, I'm going to have my own family church and not fellowship with anyone else, except every other week. I've got to commit to a body, sub submit to, uh, to a body of Christians. And so the wrestling was with all the different standards of joining the Eastern Church. Uh, it was going to require a number of changes in our family. And I thought about, are any of these things we have to give up? How do they weigh in relation to the kingdom of God? You know, they're insignificant versus being a full participant in the kingdom of God, not, not as an isolated, radical individual, but as part of the church. And I came to the conviction, personally, we needed to, to be part of the Anabaptist world. They, they came the closest that I could find of, of any church um, that um, fit the teachings of the early Christians and the teachings in the Sermon on the Mount, that the, the gospel of the kingdom that Jesus preached, they came closest to it. I, I saw I wasn't blind to the imperfections, yeah. and I didn't like the cultural barriers, but I felt this is the direction we needed to go as a family. So mm -hmm. when I wrote that book, it was largely my own reflections of what I needed to do in my life, and I wrote it partly in mind for my wife, Deborah, that, look, this is the road we need to go on. And here is my apologetic presentation, you know, my defense uh, for that. And so it was in, an intense personal journey behind writing the book. It, it, you know, I realized I was at a spiritual crisis, something had to change. And I felt like the answer was in the kingdom of God, of realizing that every decision in life had to be uh, relegated, submitted to the kingdom of God, uh, not to what was, you know, my own personal preferences, my likes or dislikes, but the kingdom of God coming first. So, yeah, I started writing, and as I wrote, it just, it grew up in me. I mean, that book impacted me probably more than readers. The experience of writing that, I came to such a deep, overwhelming conviction of, wow, I have got to surrender my life completely to Jesus and to his kingdom. 
And um, more than I had done, not that I, I mean, I had, you know, I had been a Christian a long time, but yeah, this was a new dedication, a new greater submission in, in my life. And so um, anyway, so that was the impetus as I was writing. Now, I wrote the whole book in eight weeks. I mean, I was so, I mean, just totally excited. And uh, this just grasped every fiber of my body. I mean, I got up early in the morning and I would write till late at night. And um, I kept telling Deborah, she'd ask, what, you know, what, what is this? And I, just wait, I want you to see the manuscript when I'm done. But right now it is just flowing. I I, I don't want to stop, you, you know? And um, so having made the personal decision, I was going to have to convince my family, obviously, of that I wanted to join the Anabaptist world. And I'm using that in a broad perspective. I'm including the German Baptist, you know, a, a lot of groups un, under that umbrella when I say Anabaptist. I couldn't see myself just going in as an individual or as a family. If I was going to come in, I wanted the whole world to come in. Now, I knew that wasn't going to happen. I, I mean, I, I knew the the road was too narrow. It was going to be difficult. But I wanted the book beyond my own heart being poured out. I wanted to write a book that an Anabaptist could share with his neighbor with somebody at work, um, whomever, to explain the kingdom to them. And I felt like this was the bridge that no one, not too many people, some people are all uh, enamored with Anabaptists getting back to canning and gardening and that kind of thing, but not most people. I felt like if we're going to convince people to come down this road, it's got to be because they grasp the kingdom of God. So uh that is uh the other part of the book then was to give the anabaptists something that would um enable them to witness to others to give me something that i could witness to other people say here you know this is why i live the way i do this is why i attend the, the church i do it's all about the kingdom of god and so i wanted to cover some of the more difficult points like the two kingdoms war Divorce and remarriage, swearing, uh, not accumulating riches here on the earth, but uh, devoting our resources, our time to, to the kingdom of God. So I wanted to the book to be an apologetic book that would help a non-Anabaptist to grasp these things, to help them see uh, the importance of them. And of course, if you're going to be part of the kingdom of God, you've got to understand the two kingdoms as uh, Bryant was talking about, it, it doesn't work to think you can embrace the kingdom of God and also the kingdoms of this world. And I'm going to be America first, and then, yeah, the kingdom of God also. I mean, it's one or the other. It's, it's. I mean, we're loyal to the government we live under, we obey Caesar, but our ultimate uh, allegiance has got to be to one of those kingdoms, and it's going to have to be the kingdom of God if we're going to be a Christian. So, that was, you know, one of the central me messages. And then the other thing, and stop me if you need to ask, you know, other questions. I'm doing kind of a monologue here, but um, I realized it was always difficult as a believer um, in the kingdom of God, as an Anabaptist, 
it was always difficult. Okay, how do you share the gospel with, with, with others? And of course, evangelicals have a nice little formula, you know, say this prayer, invite Jesus in your heart. Now you're saved. And, and, and that we didn't have anything like that really as Anabaptists. A lot of Anabaptists just adopt the evangelical and it, it doesn't really fit. And so I wanted to share in there, you know, from reading John 15, I felt like, okay, this is maybe the clue I have been looking for. The Jesus is, it's not really a parable. Well, I guess you'd call it, it's a metaphor of the vine. Um, yeah, we have to get on the vine. There is that step we take to give our life to Christ. We've got to get on the vine. But once we are on the vine, they, it's not it's not a once and done thing, which is the evangelical message. Now, not that they stop there. I mean, you know, if if you love Jesus as an evangelical, you're going to spend a lot of time in discipleship and all that. But for a lot of people, it is. They hear the message and then, uh, you know, they get saved and they don't really surrender their life to Christ. Their life is still centered on, on this world. And so I felt like once there's two stages to salvation, you know, we got, we have to get on the vine and, and, you know, we do have to make that decision to surrender our life to Christ, to be baptized. But then it's an obedient love faith relationship that carries us through to the day we die. And it's maintaining that relationship that will end up ultimately in our salvation. So I wanted to uh, get that in there again, as a way as Anabaptists that we could witness to other people. Now, you want me to keep going or you, you've got? Um, I would say that's excellent. Amazing um, to hear your journey to this, uh, the, the core message of this book. And I have to say, it doesn't surprise me at all to hear that you were extremely passionate when you wrote this book. Um, because in reading it, I would say that that passion came through. And I think that that's probably why it's been so impactful in people's lives is you were being moved, you were inspired. And I would say that message, that inspiration that you had came through loud and clear in that book. I love the fact that um, you were writing this book for your wife. I mean, not specifically, but part of it to work through the, your own understanding, but also to teach your family. I think that's a beautiful motivation um, for authoring a book. And I, I love to hear about the, the passion that you had. Um, I understand that you were a lawyer or were a lawyer or are a lawyer. Actually, I'm not sure how that works. I don't practice, but, but yes, I still am, yeah. Okay. What's the transition from being a lawyer to an author look like? Because you've written numerous books. How many, how many books have you written? Ten. Ten. Ten yeah. books. Wow. You didn't write them all in eight or like, what, how, <laughs> what's the average length of time in writing one of them? You know, it, it, it varies. The last book I wrote was a commentary on Matthew, the first half of Matthew, and that was several years. Right. Uh, like yeah. say the kingdom book, um, that was eight weeks. I mean, I was just, wow, that was passion that, that it just, yeah. it just flowed. Other books have taken, longer it it is very right. the Hendrix book i spent a year in in writing it so yeah they, they've each one have been a little bit different uh depending on the on the situation 
Uh, so I, um, you know, I never intended to be an author. I mean, it, it had never been a dream. And how the first book got written was when I shared with my friends what I was discovering in the early church, they were all saying, David, you ought to write a book about this, you know? And, and at first, you know, I just laughed him off. Yeah, right. Yeah, sure. You know, because, yeah, I couldn't picture myself as an author. And then I got to thinking, you know, if I go to my grave, I, I've seen all of these things of what Christianity was like in the first decades after the apostle, the first century, the couple centuries. And if I don't tell anyone, but just a few friends, what am I going to say to Jesus on Judgment Day? I mean, is he going to hold me accountable for never having shared this with the greater world? And yeah. not that I had any forum to share it with the greater world. This was before Internet and everything back in the 80s. Or if it was around him, I mean, most people didn't have it. And so, right. yeah, a book, the only way I could think of. And, and yet no one had heard of me. I mean, I, I had no connections. Mm -hmm. But I thought. I gave a lot of prayer to it. We talked a lot, uh, Deborah and I, and uh, I thought all I can do is write the book. And then if this is a message God wants out there, then he's going to have to open the door because obviously I, I can't, I, I can't do that. And so I, I wrote the book um, and sent out um review copies to a number of Christian magazines and um, a few places like that. And uh, that, um, yeah, it just, wow, I, I just, I kind of guess I'd have a garage full of books and, and instead yeah. the doors just open. I, I, I just could not believe how, how it spread so quickly, largely by word of mouth. That was the heretics mm -hmm. book. And um, so then I gave thought, well, should I quit law and, and maybe just write? And so I started yeah. writing other books, but I soon saw that in Christian books, particularly if you're not writing what the mainstream churches mm -hmm. want to hear, it, it was impractical to make a living that way. And I didn't want to compromise the message in order to, to sell books. So right. I said, yeah. I'll keep practicing, I was practicing title law at that point. Once I read the early church, I saw I couldn't, with good conscience, go to court, take people to court, and that sort of thing. So right. I was writing title opinions. And yeah. Um, so, yeah, writing uh, writing then in my, in my well, not my spare time, I, I narrowed my legal work to two days a week. It gave me three days a week for writing and, and speaking, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. Um, one thing you'd mentioned was that you were attracted to the Anabaptists. And I, I should ask the question, what was the greatest surprise that came out of the feedback from this book? From the Anabaptists? Yeah. Yeah. The greatest one by far. I thought I was basically preaching to the choir. I mean, I, I didn't think anything in the book was new to the Anabaptists, other than maybe some of the uh, history and and the concept of uh, presenting the gospel using John 15. But yeah, I thought the two kingdoms non-resistance, I mean, yeah, this right. is bread and butter of the Anabaptists. And so uh, shortly after it was out, I was talking with uh, 
one of my Mennonite friends, Chester Weaver, probably most of you know him. He's mm-hmm. he, he's everywhere. He's involved in every kind of ministry you can think of. Um, major influence in my life, major blessing to my family. Anyway, he was telling me that the book was impacting Anabaptists, that they, uh, so many had drifted away from the two kingdoms and right. were weakening on, on um, non-resistance. And he said, wow, this is creating an awakening within the Anabaptists. Now, that really surprised me because, like I say, I thought I was preaching to the choir. Um, and so that was that was a big encouragement. I thought, you know, that this was an unintended consequence, but I was delighted that, uh, yeah, if, if particularly the younger generation, if they were losing it, if this book could be a help, um, I, I was so blessed, you know, that mm-hmm. that I had written it, that, that God was using me in, in a way in the Anabaptist world that I hadn't foreseen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. See, I can, I can share a little bit about the impact that it had on my life. Um, I grew up in a, in a Mennonite home and I lost my way. And it, when my wife and I came to Christ together, we ended up in a Protestant church. We had moved out. I had moved away from the community that I was in before. And many years had gone by and we ended up in a Protestant church and we're trying to find our way there. Um, my wife actually listened to this book on Audible. And she kept telling me while she was listening to it, you have to listen to this. This is incredible. So she had grown up without any understanding of the Bible at all. She had never read the Bible. And she just this was probably six or eight months into our journey at the Protestant church and she's listening to it. And she's saying, you, you have to listen to this. This is, this is incredible. Like this is, so I did, I finally um, took the time to listen to the book and I had to agree with her. It was incredible. Um, You mentioned in the book that there's a paradigm shift that can happen when your reality just changes completely or your view of reality can change completely. And I would say that this book was instrumental in creating that paradigm shift in my my understanding of the Christian life. I mean, I grew up knowing a lot of things about Christianity um, and I've been trying to. Think about what. What's the the flip? So if, if you're a Christian and you don't believe in the 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 kingdom that turned the world upside down, because it literally does turn everything upside down. Um, what what type of Christianity is that? Like what? Um, I'm not sure. Like I'm trying to think about how I viewed Christianity before. I think before I just viewed it as I need to check boxes or, you know, it's all about just being free from sin, which we know it is about being free from sin. Christ conquered um, sin, but it, it, Christianity without a perspective of the kingdom seems to lack the main drive. It's like you pulled out the main chapter of the book. And I think that the, the, one of the most profound things that hit me in this book was that when you asked, what is the message of Jesus? What a simple question. Um, but your answer in the book startled me that Jesus preached the kingdom. I'm not sure what I would have said he preached before, but um, so that was that was a 
stopped me in my tracks to think about what was the message of Jesus Christ. It was the kingdom. And it also moved the kingdom of God from something mystical or out there or future or past or whatever the the perspective might be. It moved the kingdom of God from that to right now, right here, something that we can pour our lives and hearts into. And you talked about evangelism, um, providing something to offer the nations around us or the people around us. I mean, there is no greater message than the kingdom. And this is something that you can you can put your back into. I mean, you can sacrifice everything you have um, for this. And I think for me, it was the question, what was the message of Jesus, the kingdom? He went around preaching the kingdom and to move the kingdom from a mystical into a practical something that I can invest everything I have into. It puts the the main chapter back into the story of Christianity, I feel like. Um, just to share the impact that that the book has has had on our lives and the change that has come. And it has put us on a totally different journey than we were on before as well. And that journey has high costs, um, is uh, is not an easy road, but it's it's what Christ has called us to. And but his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Um, Brother Brian. Yeah, amen. Yes, yeah, Sam. Much the same thing happened to me. So I grew up in, in the Eastern Mennonite, as David Berceau had was talking about earlier. Um, and uh, and dispensationalism is is very alive and well in that particular denomination. It's almost if you don't if you're not a dispensationalist, then you're almost a heretic. And I guess they should read your your book there, David, that you wrote in 1989. Anyhow, um, but um it but it always was this out there stuff. And it felt like nothing pertained to the here and now. And, and, and even give us answers for why we, we are Mennonite, you know, for why we're part of the Anabaptist tradition. It just felt like, you know, everyone was closet Republicans. Um, you know, we had to support Israel, all those things. And it, it, it was just this cognitive dissidence in my mind of like, why? But when, when, reading your book and being around some brothers who were kingdom Christians. Um, it was just like light bulb. It just cut through that fog and it cleared things really helped clear things up. So that's amazing that you were out to write. I did not know that you were out to write a book for your dear wife, Deborah uh, and your family. And that's beautiful. And also this idea too, like these Anabaptist people, they, they don't have many books. We need some more books. And um, is, is that still your heart today, David, to see more people writing books? Oh, definitely. Definitely. You, you know, that that uh, I'm looking, you know, to the next generation. We, we need more more writers um, for sure. Uh, you probably right now. Gary Miller is probably our best, you know, Anabaptist yeah. author would be. You know, my my guess. We just need a bunch Sorry. of people like him who are uh, addressing issues from Anabaptist uh, perspectives. And uh, yeah, I I I am yeah so eager to see the next generation and to see uh, more people who can articulate the message well, approach it from different angles that maybe I haven't thought of, or you, or you, you know, just. Uh, God can use people in different ways. And mm -hmm. we need that because we're still 
we're having a small impact outside our own circles. It, it's growing. It's definitely growing. The internet has helped a lot, but most of the world, when they think of Mennonites or Anabaptists, they think of Amish, they think of quaint people, you know, horse and buggy. They don't understand what we're about. And and the kingdom of God is is the big thing that they need to see. Yes. Yeah. And I, I always keep a stack of these books with me. Literally, I, 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 I'm, we have them at our cafe. It's my go-to book. It's my go-to book every time. And I've, I've seen so many people impacted by it and friendships with people that I just randomly met and gave a book. To this day, we still, we're still interacting uh, from other, other parts of in the United States. Um, but um, maybe you know, here shortly, we'll kind of dig into the book a little bit more and some of the content in the book, David. Um, but I just wanted to, to acknowledge um, your journey that you've been on, that you have been on for years, obviously. And um, just for your love for truth, but also maybe the beauty of a marriage that where you and your wife have, have worked together so well. And just at the Church Planters Forum two weeks ago, you were talking there uh, and you mentioned that you would have had your own faith crisis. Obviously, you left the JWs and joined up with the Protestants and then went to went to college but you would have had your own faith crisis in that journey. And your wife was the one who really helped you through that time. And so I just find it interesting, you know, you're, you were telling that part of the story a couple of weeks ago, and now you're, 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 you're now telling us how you were really writing this for your wife and your family. So <laughs> it's just beautiful. Yeah. I've, I have liked that in our relationship that, um, Deborah, um, she respects my headship enormously, but she's not just a puppet or, or lapdog. Um, like I would have been the first of the two of us to um, realize we needed to leave Jehovah's Witnesses, but I wanted her to make her own decision. And, you know, I left, she stayed in for a while, not in defiance of me, but with my encouragement, I said, Deborah, I want this when you come to the same conviction. And if you don't, okay. But I want this to be your decision. I don't want you just to follow me. And so, yeah, she did her own reasoning on it. And then she left a few months after I did. And yeah, the Kingdom book, I think it hit her pretty hard because when she read it, I think she realized the implications of what it was saying. And and she was reading it as a manuscript. And yeah, we, we did a lot of a lot of talking. It wasn't an easy decision. <clears throat> but yeah, I think we both realized this is the direction we needed to go. And um uh obviously she's here with me in the in the uh Anabaptist world. Uh we've made the journey together. But yeah, when uh sometimes maybe I've taken the lead and in times. Yeah, when my faith was faltering, when I was in college, um, wow, she was the safety net that kept kept the flame going. When I was ready to just throw in the towel, there are no real churches left. It's it's all over. And uh, she didn't give up when I did. So, yeah, I, I bless God that wow. brought her in my life and, and we've had that kind of uh, interrelationship. Praise the Lord. What, what, what a what a blessing. 
Yeah, well, we could go a bunch of different ways here. We've had some questions come in, but I, I feel like we should spend a little more time here um, on, on the book. Um, you pretty much talk about why you wrote it. That, that's been discussed. Um, what would, I mean, obviously, it's, maybe it's somewhat rhetorical, but just talk a little bit about the central message of this book. And then some of the implications of that. And, and maybe one of the questions that came in here is, would Jesus be a Christian nationalist? You know, and so we have many conservative Christians on the right, um, Doug Wilson and and, and Eric Matrix. And uh, I, mean, I mean, a lot of a lot of your high, fairly high powered, uh, the Pipers and the Platts. You know they they are definitely um, proponents of, of a nuanced form of Christian nationalism. Maybe not what the right is caricaturing the or with what the left is 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 implying the right believes. But at the end of the day, they, they are Christian nationalists. They want to see America be a, continue or get back to its Christian roots. Uh, and so, and they have quite a message. Like it's a it's a it's a message that can really pull at at your um at your heart um and so yeah so maybe kind of a big a couple things here but you know what what is the central message and then kind of how does that impact us today what what should that look like yeah so yes this was the big problem i saw as as an evangelical i mean there were some theological issues but yeah this idea that america is god's country and um I'm not anti-American at, at all. I, I would be socially conservative, you know, a, as a Christian. Um, but it's like, I'm sorry, there is no country that is God's country um, except the kingdom of God. And it is a, a country that embraces every nationality, every people group in the world. And we have to think of ourselves, our citizenship as Paul said, is in the heavens, but it's also a reality here on the earth. And so my loyalty to a fellow Christian in China is greater than my loyalty to, to the United States. I mean, not that I'm going to do something treasonous, but um, I can't go bomb somebody in Russia uh, or China or something like that because the political interests of China are different than the political interests of the United States or between Russia and the United States, whatever. I mean, either our kingdom, it's something so real that none of us are going to go to war killing each other because that would be like killing your fellow American. You know, I mean, you know, our ultimate allegiance is the kingdom of God that embraces everything. So the governments of this world are something we obey, we respect, we live under. But yeah, it's not, we don't look, our hope isn't in them and our loyalty. We're not going to kill somebody else for them. Um, we're not going to get involved that, oh, if this person gets in office, it's going to solve all the problems. It doesn't matter who you put in office. It's not going to solve the problems. The answer to the world's problems is God's kingdom. And so that's where our focus has got to be, and it transcends all these national boundaries. So yeah, in answer to your question, absolutely not. Jesus would not be a Christian nationalist. 
he wasn't a Jewish nationalist. I mean, here, wow, you had in his own day, the big issue was we want the Romans out of Judea, out of Palestine. And did Jesus get involved in that? He didn't give it any attention. He showed ultimate respect to the Romans. Paul, I mean, he was a loyal Jew. He never even talks about all the political things happening uh, in Judea in his letters. He couldn't care less. He cared about the kingdom of God and the king of that kingdom, Jesus Christ. So anyway, that's my passion. Yeah. Uh, Amen. Now, something flashed <laughs> on the screen I want to comment on. I, I just barely saw it, and so I didn't, I didn't see the whole message. But, yeah, because I talked about the Anabaptists. That was my... Um, uh, you know, point that was forced that forced me in writing the book. Do I join them or not? Now, in the course of the book, you know, I talk about these other groups, the Waldensians and the Brethren and the Moravians and that sort of thing. And I was trying to describe all of these groups because I didn't want it to be a book just about Anabaptists, like they were the ultimate answer or, or the only answer. And so I was trying to I was trying to figure out how do I describe all these groups who put the kingdom of God first. So I, I, in the original manuscript, I was calling them Sermon on the Mount Christians. And that was a little yeah. bit long. And so then I thought, okay, I'll call them kingdom Christians just as a shorthand way of, of describing these, these different groups. I didn't think that term anyone would pick up on it because I didn't, I didn't give it that much significance. And after the book had come out, I was talking with Denny Keniston, who was one of the leaders of Charity Christian Fellowship. And, and he, he, he had called me because he really liked the book. He wanted to order several cases. And he was discussing it. He said, now, what was that term you use in there to describe people who like, like us? Oh, yeah, Kingdom Christian, he, he said. I was surprised anyone even noticed that word. And then, yeah, I noticed yes. a lot of people started using it. And, and you've used it, and Sam, Sam used it there. And so, yeah, the book no longer is about, oh, let's get everyone into the Anabaptist. Now, I'm still, that's, that is my home. That's where I'm at. It's to get people in the kingdom. And so now I'm seeing there are kingdom Christians of a lot of stripes out there. You know, there, there's followers of the way. There's all kinds of just, you know, independent groups and, and flavors of groups. And that's wonderful. Yeah, I, I, my mission is no longer, oh, yeah, I want to get everyone in the Anabaptist. I still, again, that's where my, not my ultimate loyalty, that's one of my loyalties, but I mainly want to see people get in the kingdom, whatever flavor that may, may take on. Yeah. Okay. Well, that, that, that's been officially documented now, Brother David, that you're the one to blame for that. <laughs> I've been told that David Bursault was the one who came up with that. So, yeah. yeah I was going to ask you that. That's actually one of my questions that I saw at the end of the book. You end the book saying, are you going to join the, the present-day kingdom Christians? Uh, yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, okay. names can be names can be helpful. They can be a hindrance. Um, one thing that's clear when you understand the message of the kingdom, which you summarize in the book, but we find it in the the message of Christ, obviously, um, is that the kingdom has a distinctive look because there is no. I mean, we could we could talk about the title of the book, The Upside Down Kingdom. Why was it called that? Or well, the kingdom that turned the world upside down. Cited it. Why did they call it that? Because it's it's doing the inverse to what the kingdoms of the earth are doing. And 
that is where we should be focusing our attention is the the kingdom anabaptist whatever non-denominational church unaffiliated where do we represent the upside down upside down to the kingdoms of the earth culture or not culture life passion vision dreams um sacrifice that is laid out in the kingdom mm -hmm. i think there's the distinctive uh, less in the name but more in the practice and the um the 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 message that goes out through the lives that we live that upside down it seems wrong to call it upside down because it is the kingdom of christ it seems like this should be the kingdom and the kingdom that we live in here the fleshly kingdom should be more of the upside down kingdom but i understand where that comes from every time i run into that idea of the upside down kingdom i think i stub my toe on it mentally a little bit um because it is the kingdom of Christ. It is the kingdom, the eternal kingdom. Um, yeah. There is, yeah. One of the messages of the kingdom is to be the salt of the earth. And there's a lot of ways that that can happen. I have a question. Um, we understand that this kingdom is separate from the kingdoms of the world. But it's easy to, to blur the lines a little bit and think that in order to be the salt, in order to bring about some change, why don't we just go to the poles? You know, we understand that we're not a part of the kingdom of the earth. We understand that we serve Christ. But why don't we just go to the poles to, to, to be more salty in the communities that we're in? You asked me. Okay, so I, I don't think you can get in involved in the world without getting contaminated with it you know you you um no one can run you could not get elected as president or even in congress sticking to the teachings of jesus um in fact a, a funny story when th this was the the heretics book but uh, a, a young man uh this is back in texas he read that book and he was really excited about it and he was in, involved in the republican party there locally so he, he went to one of their local meetings and and he said um you know i just read this book and and um you know jesus uh was not in favor of war and i and i think maybe we should you know change our platform and all that and everyone just looked at him like are you nuts i, I mean i mean he almost got laughed out of the room but it would be the same thing if you went to the other side it's like Okay, we need to take a stand against uh, divorce, uh, against uh, homosexual marriage, against you know, you know, so many of the things going on in the the world today. And yeah, if, if you were running from from the left perspective, it would be like, what? I mean, you, you know, if you're going to follow Jesus Christ, you're not going to be politically correct, and you're not going to be some hardline right winger. I want my guns and and, and all of that. You just Amen. aren't going to fit into any party in this world. And if you tried, even if you started out with integrity, you would have to compromise so many ways to think about getting elected. So it, it's just out of the question. It's not Jesus's way. Amen. Amen. Um, and it doesn't actually bring about real change in the, in the end anyway. Um, so you do float a platform and it does get voted in. It's not getting to the root of what needs to happen to bring about the changes in the societies that we live in 
um, the kingdom, the message of the cross gets at the root of why people are doing the things that they're doing, why they're getting divorced and why they're getting abortions and why they're doing all of these things. And I think that's something that we could keep clear in our mind that if we want to affect real change, affect real change the way Christ affected real change, um, not by picketing and, and, you know, getting in office and, and things like that, because it doesn't actually bring, I mean, it can bring about some change, but not where it counts, where there's an eternal value change going on there. I think that's another thing that struck me in this book is the complete change of values. It's not just a Christianity that's, that's you know, we're, we're just pushing back against sin. It's a complete change of values in everything that we do. It, how we conduct ourselves, how we conduct our business, how we conduct ourselves in relationships. Um, I guess I hadn't ever considered that overhaul of the value system so completely in uh, Christianity before um, reading this. And I know that that's what's in the scriptures and that's what Christ teaches is the complete change of values. But this book was helpful for me to realize that I needed to, just like John says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world um, and to love the things that are not of the world, which are of the father. Um, but if we can have that complete change of values, it is very helpful in keeping things like our association in politics and things like that uh, crystal clear. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's because Jesus <clears throat> It's his own politic, right? It's his own nation. It's his own way. And um, and David, at the beginning of your book here, at the front of your book, you have um, the the verse there out of Acts 17, uh, where they, they drug Jason out of the house saying, these who have turned the world upside down have come here too. And Acts 17 is just an incredible chapter in Acts. I mean, there's so much stuff going on there from the beginning of that chapter to the end of that chapter. And I have written my Bible grit, grind and grime. Like it's just, it's just, it's packed. And it begins with, with um, Paul there in the, in the synagogue and explaining, exclaiming and demonstrating that Christ had suffered and rose again from the dead. And he said, and he said, this Jesus who I preached to you is the Christ. Um, he is the anointed one. He is the king. And it was a, a scandalous message. And uh, I, I know that so many times I tend to want to wither when I'm engaging with that fairly aggressive, especially conservative Christian, because I can feel really like I'm just the quiet in the land, like I just don't have much to offer. Um, and uh, but reading your book, it, it, it just, it's it clarifies and it, it it brings that zeal back that the way of Jesus and his kingdom is not, you know, joining the moral majority and um, making things happen, you know, from the right or from the left. Um, this morning, Brother Zach had a great message on the, the early church's understanding of the empire. Um, and one thing that I have that has helped me, too, is in explaining it to people. And talking with people, I've come to believe that this is our best kept secret, that we so clearly believe the two kingdoms that, it, you know, it's, it, that it's actually like our nation, our kingdom is more real. It is more of a reality than the United States. 
And so because of that, we give our, our allegiance wholly to that. And, and as I've explained it to people with, 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 um, with passion and with certainty, not kind of hanging my head, um, saying that, you know, no, I didn't vote this morning. Um, you know, but when, when I do it with passion and clarity, it has a, it just has a way of, of, of people, of moving people's eyes up. And even not only those who are maybe your, 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 you know, your passionate, uh, conservative Christian that's, that's thinks we should get out and vote, but also for those who are totally secular. And actually, I almost have found more of an open door with them when they just realize that, wow, here is somebody who believes deeply about his faith, but he's never going to try to force it on me. And I have the people say that's that's what Jesus would do. He want you look at his life. He wouldn't do that. And it's a it's a message that that we just can't proclaim loud enough and often enough um, to our families, to our churches, and to ourselves. So so God help us. Um, any 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 more thoughts, David, that you want to share here on this um, book before we um, or the maybe the central message of of this book. Well, I think you've covered the central message, you know, that it's the kingdom of God. It's a reality right now. Uh, Mm -hmm. So many Christians, they think the kingdom of God is someplace you go once you die, you know. And yeah, I mean, but we just continue in it. I mean, if you're not in it right now, you're not going to be in it when you die. I mean, you've got to be a citizen right now. And I think the fact if there was a central message is that yeah it is a present reality that has to control our whole life as much as a g- earthly government would that this is here right now a genuine kingdom confronting all the kingdoms of the world in love not 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 with a sword uh but challenging all of their assumptions all of their values and yeah maybe that's that would be a way of summing that up Sure. Um, anything from you, Sam, on the message of the book before we um, move on here? It's very impactful. Um, David does a good job in the book of putting into a nice little package the message of the, the whole kingdom that Christ lived out. He didn't just preach. He lived out. Um, so one thing that is a central theme i would say is the cost the cost of being in the kingdom and that's something that we generally try to shy away from is personal cost um but it's something to embrace because christ embraced it while he was here and to not lose i really appreciate what david just said about the kingdom being here and now that changed my perspective of my service to Christ a lot to think about that, that the kingdom is here right now. My eternity has begun. And people ask, are you going to spend eternity with Christ? Yes, I am. Now. <laughs> and into eternity. Right. That's, uh, that's a beautiful thing to think about. Are you going to spend eternity with God? Yes, absolutely. I am right now. Um, but it comes with a cost. Amen. Yeah. So, um, David, tell us about the cover of the book here. Um, I would love to see those of uh, those of you with your 
with your camera on, how many of you have this book in your hand? Like, uh, oh, okay. So maybe uh, uh, more, there's more showing up here. There's more showing up. Uh, Sahar, do you, you don't have a physical copy there. I'm sorry, you can't unmute yourself. Sorry about that. But you don't have a physical copy there? Okay. Is it available in, in Deutsch, David? Yes. Yes. Actually, okay. we need to know how many how many uh, how many languages has it been translated into? As of 2020, it was 15 languages. Uh, there wow. may have been more that have been added since then. Um, and these are mm. um, ministries of love by different people. Uh, different. Uh, many of them are, are Mennonite publishing houses. Many of them are just individuals. Uh, you know, a Japanese sister translating to Japanese, a Chinese brother translating to Chinese. It, it's, um, yeah, it, it has been amazing. That's so incredible. how, you know, so we have listeners all on the globe here. Um, is there one place where they can access all the different languages? Okay, yes and no. Scroll, on the Scroll Publishing website, okay, mm -hmm. um, the the ones that have not been printed, some of these translations are only PDF. All of those are available there. Um, and then we would offer um, some of the ones like um, Spanish uh, on our website as, as well. Some of them are through missions organizations, like the one that's in Ukrainian, I think was through Grace Press. I don't think we have access to that. Grace Press might. Yeah, we, we probably should put a, a list. That's that's a, a gave me a, a thought. Someone asked, is it in Turkish or Korean? Um, let me just look here. It's listed. Uh, let me. Uh, yes, it is in Turkish. It is in Turkish. Yeah. OK. Fantastic. Wonderful. Uh, yeah, you asked about the picture. So I don't know if this. If you can. Yeah, we see can that. see that. OK, so. Um, Back in 2001, a year or so, but a couple of years before I, I wrote the book, uh, Deborah and I uh, were attending. It was a worldwide family reunion of my French relatives. So on my dad's side, um, they're all French, like first generation. My grandmother lived in France as a little girl. My grandfather, I think, was the first one in their family born in the United States. Anyway, we got an invitation and we thought, hey, we ought to do this. It'd be nice to meet them. Uh, after the reunion, um, there was a family writing us uh, from Germany. Um, and we thought, well, hey, we would go visit them and give them encouragement. They're kind of isolated there. Um, and while we were there, um, we went, uh, they were near Munich. There is a um, world-class um art museum there in in munich so we went through it and that's where i saw this picture and um i bought at the museum a um a catalog that had all of the all of the works and it it really struck me the artist liked to he painted landscapes i think mainly but he put this surreal element into it so when i saw this picture it was like okay earthly kingdoms uh the clash of kingdoms but then the the top part of it just has this element so it's like the kingdom of god here on earth and then it just goes up into eternity into heaven that's what it conveyed to me and so 
I thought it's a public domain work. I thought, hey, this this would be uh, unique for the co so yeah, that's how it got there. Yeah, fantastic. So it's quite a picture. Um, that's that's great. So okay, so yeah, fifteen different languages. Maybe um, maybe here on on strength to strength, we should really try to compile a page possibly with like links to all idea. the different languages. Um, that's the least that we could do just to help you get these books out there, David, um, and and get people because we have so many people that are visiting our website and 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 going through the resources there. So that's something we could do as well, and we'll try to try to get that that done here. So yeah, all right, well, um, Sam, do you have any any more any more thoughts or David? Have we? That's it for me discussed everything here do you have anything more that you want to talk about brother david no i don't know if, if there's any questions that came in that you want to ask ask about or, or talk or if you're you're out of time but yeah I, i'm happy to do that if if there's questions that have come in so i'll i'll ask the question here that actually came in via email um from a listener and uh, actually it was i had given it to to zach this morning as well on his talk, um, you know, and, and the question is, this is the question, what is the primary thing that you think Christians miss out in the walk with God if they fail to understand or see this fundamental concept? It might be kind of a, yeah, that's the question. So what would be your, what, what would be your response to that? Okay. So, um, for my experience with with the evangelical Christian world, which which is uh, such a large part of what I call Bible believing Christians, um, I think they miss out on uh, the Sermon on the Mount as uh, these are commandments. These aren't recommendations or suggestions, or they're not something that oh, this is how we'll live in the millennium. You know, in another dispensation. You know. No, this is for us as Christians today, and these are not suggestions. These are commandments, and living these commandments, why well, he said it's going to be a narrow way, because, man, that goes against all the values of, of this world. And so what you miss out on is obedience to Jesus Christ. And, you know, my firm conviction, I think it's conveyed in the, in the book, um, is that's it's not an option to be a disobedient Christian. I mean, none of us are going to obey perfectly, but we don't have the option of saying, yeah, I want you as my savior, Jesus, but I don't want you as my Lord or as my real King. Uh, yeah. I, I want you to save me, but, but yeah, um, thanks for the suggestions, but I think I'll ignore most of them. No, he's either our Lord. Uh, if he's going to be our savior, he's also our Lord. If he's not our Lord, he's not our savior. And, and so that's what's missing out of so much of the gospel that's being preached today. Now, among Anabaptists, I think what often happens if they don't see the kingdom, they just see a bunch of church rules, church standards. And, oh, if I live by these now, thankfully, you know, the standards usually keep them in a good path. But there's not that obedient love, faith relationship with, with Christ. It's more a relationship with their church of obeying standards and not developing an inner life and a, and a vibrant relationship with, with Jesus. So, yeah, 
there's two things missing, but yeah, it's a little different depending on, on what world your, your church fellowship is in. Yeah, and, and then maybe taking this a, a, a step farther yet, um, what, what does it, as we think of God's kingdom coming and, and this idea, you know, you, you end your book here, um, let's do our part in turning the world upside down. What are some ways, um, what does, when, when you say that, um, and as you've experienced life where you have zealously followed truth and written books, and, and I know that you've received a lot of heat for some of the books you've written, uh, or some of the ideas that you've, 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 you've written and, and, and taught and, and lived out. Um, what are some of the ways that we can turn the world upside down today? Do you have any kind of putting it into practical ways or maybe ways that we aren't and should be? So here's your chance to. Yeah. To encourage us and exhort us. We we have a number of young young men here um that I'm seeing with the, with our cameras on. And so you're you're talking to the to the next uh, younger generation here. Yeah, and, and this answer may surprise or disappoint you. I, I guess I look at how did the apostles do it? I mean, you know, the people said, you know, these people who are turning the world upside down have come here. So what did they do? They weren't involved in any kind of they weren't activists in anything. Um they were sharing the good news of the kingdom with other people. They were bringing people into the kingdom to such an extent that it got the notice of the Roman Empire. I mean, the largest, strongest, mightiest empire that had ever existed in human history was having to take notice of this kingdom because it was growing so rapidly. And they weren't watering down the message. I mean, the apostles weren't preaching a you know, invite Jesus in your heart and it's all over. No, they were preaching this radical conversion, changing your whole value system. So that is, I'd say, where kingdom Christians in the last few centuries have fallen short is we've been, we focused on preserving what we have. We don't want to lose it. And I'm glad for that. But we don't have this just, boy, urge, I've got to go out and share this with other people in an effective manner. It's not enough just, oh, I'm going to hold up a sign on street corners and, okay, I've spent some time. It's got to be effective. You've got to be getting results. And if this method isn't working, okay, try something else. If that's not working, try something else. But if if they could reach that pagan world of that time, that was certainly as sick and as you know alien from God as the society we're living in, or even worse, if the apostles could reach them, if the early Christians could reach them, we can reach today's world. But yeah, we have got to find effective ways to engage with them. And of course, what you're doing here is, I think one of those is, is people go to the internet. Anyone who's seeking today, spiritually, if they're seeking, what are the answers? Or even if they're not seeking, you know, they get on the internet. And that's their very first place to try to find answers today. And so, yeah, we've got to have a presence. I'm so excited, like what you're doing. And I think Patrick is on. Thank you to Patrick Matthews, who who started this platform. Right. Uh, in the yes. 
I mean, there's other ways. He's turning the world upside down in, in his own, you know, in a small world, you know, running a halfway house, taking in uh, people coming out of prison. Yeah, there are a lot of ministries. Cam is, yeah. All, so all of those things are part of the kingdom. These um, real things that we do and feeding the hungry and uh, getting water to people who don't have water and getting medicine there. And, and that all that is part of it is, is, as well. And the early church did that. But their biggest thing was getting the word out. And like I say, that that's where we've got to really, uh, I think, keep exploring. Okay, how can we do a more effective job than what we've been doing so that this kingdom keeps growing? Yeah, um, you know, I, I thought of uh, Gary Miller in one of his books. He talks about the Anabaptists have become hole diggers, which is quite a... It's, it's quite a statement. I, he probably says a little bit nicer than that, but uh, referring to Matthew 25, you know, the 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 uh, worker who went and buried that one talent um, rather than investing it. And so, yeah, we have we've been given so much, so much teaching, your book being one of those uh, that we need to steward uh, and that we'll be held accountable for it. So the question is, yeah, are we going to be hole diggers? Or are we going to be investors and actually step out in faith, be vulnerable? Um, sure, you know, working with your local church, of course, that has all the giftings in it that helps us be balanced. Um, but um, but but be people who have that hopeful belief that that God can that people can be changed through the gospel and um, leaving the angry um, polarization that's so prevalent in in the Christian world. So, Brother David, thank you so much for uh, sharing here. Um, and thank you, Sam, for being on here. David, I'm going to have you close in prayer right shortly. But is is there anything else that you wanted to say here yet as we wrap up this, this time, Brother David? Well, if I could just, you know, encourage, you know, anyone listening to this, I guess ask the question, you know, what are you doing for the kingdom of God? You know, whether it is helping to feed the hungry, whether it's sharing the gospel with, with others, but are you doing something for the kingdom of God or are you content? Yeah. Just to be a, a pew warmer in church, live a godly life. That's good. I mean, you know, that's, I, I, I'm not taking away from that, but every one of us needs to be doing something with the gifts God has given us for the kingdom of God to help expand and, and promote it. So that would be, I guess, my my final challenge to anyone listening to this. Thank you. And we need another generation of writers. Did I hear you say that? Yes, we do. Amen. Hmm. Okay. So I'm, I'm going to have a quote here that I want to read, and then Brother David will have, will have you close with prayer. The quote goes like this. If the church of the 21st century will lay down its anger and frustration and instead joyfully sing the melody of Christ in the malls of meaninglessness, we could perhaps again astonish a weary world with the beauty of the gospel. And I am absolutely convinced the kingdom message of an amazing king with his kingdom that has laws that govern us and direct us that, and as we bring that reality to bear in our lives, bring heaven to earth, that the world will, will say, what is that? Tell me more. 
And it's in those times that people ask questions. Like we can't answer questions that people aren't asking. But when you ask those questions to, to take that with, with meekness and fear and share about that hope of the gospel. So may God help us. And Brother David, thank you for being an example of that. Uh, could you please close us with prayer? Father, we just thank you for the talk that we've had today. We thank you for your kingdom. We thank you for your son, the king of that, that kingdom. We do pray for your kingdom to, to come, not only in the future, but into every aspect of our lives and um, into the lives of our neighbors. Help us, Father, to be workers in your kingdom, to not yes. old diggers, as, as has been mentioned, but that with the talents that you've entrusted with, the, the, the spiritual gifts, that we are out doing something to yes. spread your kingdom, to, to help other people see this is the answer to the problems um, of the world. And um, for not just now, but for eternity. And uh, help us to be good examples so that anyone seeing of uh, us, um, that we're not going to bring shame on the kingdom, but that we are effective ambassadors just by the way we live, as imperfect as we all are, but that, Father, we we do shine a light uh, in our own neighborhoods, um, where we live, the people we interact with. Help us to do a better job where we failed in these areas. And uh, I pray your blessing on Strength is Strength and the ministry it has been carrying on and how it has brought news of the kingdom of God to, to so many. Yes. And uh, we pray these things, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right. Um, Lord willing, two weeks from now, we'll have Brother Anand on from Uganda. He's uh, an African brother there uh, who's, who's on fire for the kingdom of God and has been teaching that um, to other African brothers now. And uh, there's more recently been baptized there in the, the church in Uganda. And uh, so he's a young man has with quite a testimony. He's be sharing his testimony. We're willing two weeks from now. So thanks for joining us. And uh, again, to you, Brother David, as well. May you have a restful day and uh, the same to the rest of you. Goodbye. As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend.